I'm excited about what God is doing through this church yesterday. Um, how many people did we have there at first from Hope? We had 20 people there from Hope Church. Um, not everybody could stay the whole thing, but yes, we had 20 people. You know, when you say, let's go get uncomfortable, let's go door to door, people don't show up to those things, right? Praise the Lord. Um, 20 people from Hope Church to go and get training, a good portion of those to continue in the afternoon to go door to door. Um, it's not easy to go knock on a door. Um, this is a day and age where we don't even know our neighbors next door, right? We, we, we just don't do that. We know people online. We don't know people in person so much. And so um, there was a lot of doors that didn't open. Man, they got three cars out front and the door doesn't open. You know, eh. They saw us coming. Everybody's got their ring doorbell with the video there and like, oh, no, let's not answer the door. But there were many that did answer. And there were quite a few that, that listened and allowed us to share the gospel. And there was one. It's like God had ordained it, and he does. You absolutely expect going in, into these things that God has divine appointments ready. And, and the group that was with uh, Mario, the pastor of one of the churches we partnered with, we had really five churches represented there with the two leaders, but it's three churches going out. Uh, but his group had a guy, I guess he was just out sitting down in front of his house. And it was like he was there waiting for someone to tell him the gospel. And he accepted the Lord. So praise the Lord. If all of that only resulted in one person coming to the Lord, well, we know there's rejoicing in heaven over one. But I, there was so much more that happened as a result. Uh, I got to see... Many people, uh, terrified, push through, but, but eager, push through fear and say, no, I'm going to ring the doorbell. I'm going to be the one that's going to talk. We had great training, great preparation ahead of time. Praise the Lord for that. We went into the neighborhood that was near Oak Meadow Baptist. And the plan, the other two churches present, that we will all three churches go into the neighborhoods in Kyle in a future date. And uh, the other church was from Brenham, is that right? We're going to take a trip up to Brenham. That's up, right? Near College, near college Station, I guess. I don't know. I've, I'm still, I've only been here for eight years. I'd, there's a lot of places in Texas. But I'm just thankful to the Lord for the unity of churches. We didn't, like, take Hope Church groups and go. There were seven groups that were blended mix of all three churches going together. Um, praise the Lord for that. And what he's doing through people who are willing to just say yes. And no matter how terrified, nervous, it doesn't matter. We're trusting the Lord. And to see him show up, his Holy Spirit working through us to do something so much bigger than us. We're in Matthew chapter 10, continuing through Jesus' instruction to his 12 disciples with all those that will follow as disciples in view, certainly in this instruction. We're going to start this morning in verse 24. Matthew chapter 10, verse 24. 
Jesus tells them, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered on the housetops, or sorry, and what you hear whispered, uh, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are more, of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Lord, help us as we study your word to understand it rightly as you meant for it to be. God, as you, as you spoke through your Holy Spirit, through Matthew, using everything that is Matthew and his way of writing, his way of communicating, but God guided by your Holy Spirit in your purpose to communicate to the disciples then, but even to us now. Holy Spirit, open our hearts to receive instruction. Anything that needs to change, God, convict us of those things. Help us to see how to live rightly according to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Remember, everything leading up to this has been first instructing the disciples on a missions trip. It's like when they were instructing us to go to the houses. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what you're going to say. Here's what's, what, what you're going to expect. There's going to be many houses that don't open their doors. And when they do, what are you going to say? How are you going to do that? There was instruction that Jesus was giving his disciples at the beginning of chapter 10 that was for a specific mission. He was preparing them. He was using that mission to disciple them to prepare them for the bigger picture of what they would need to, to face. And then his instruction then went to more future things, what they ex could expect. Really, what we see from history and from God's word, what they experienced after Jesus' death, being dragged into synagogues, being dragged before kings, uh, and, and just the promise that the Holy Spirit would be there to tell them what they needed to say in that moment. And then went on to just the persecution, being, being persecuted by all, perhaps looking even beyond them to our time and even beyond our time, of what disciples of Jesus can expect. Persecution, suffering, being slandered, false witness against us. And, and it's that slander and false witness then that, that comes into view here when Jesus says in verse 26, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. What does it mean to be above teacher or master? Well, to somehow be exempt from the things that the, sir, that the master 
experienced. You know, when, when we think about, okay, I, yes, I want to give my life to the Lord, and, and I want to be a Christian, but, but I see Christians are kind of in different places, and I want to be like the ones that don't suffer as much. Right? I, I don't... That Jesus had to deal with a lot of stuff. I, I don't really want to have to deal with those things. He just described a lot of things. Now, the only thing that the disciples are seeing him experience at that time was the malignment, the, the slander, the, the Pharisees saying he casts out demons by the authority of demons, by the authority of Satan that he's doing that. They're... they're, they're coming in alongside his ministry and, and claiming things against him and, and falsely accusing him. And that's all they've seen so far. But all these other things that he has described, certainly he would experience. Even to have his own family members not believe him and turn against him. His brothers later that wrote some of our New Testament at that time didn't believe he was the Messiah. He would experience those things that his, his disciples would experience later. We come to Christ and, well, I don't really, do I have to experience all those things as a disciple of Christ? To say, I'm going to be a Christian, but I'm somehow going to be exempt from experiencing some of the things that Christ experienced would be to say that I'm somehow above my Master and Lord. I'm somehow above my teacher. He is our rabbi. He is our teacher. If you think I'm your teacher, no. I'm a brother in Christ who's been, who's been given to the church by God for the purpose of teaching, yes, but teaching in the ways of the one who is your teacher, Jesus. He's the rabbi. You're a disciple not of me, you're a disciple of Christ. And so when you are like your teacher, when you are like your master and Lord, you are like Christ not only in character, hopefully, in image and being, but in what you can expect to experience. If they would slander the Lord, how much more those that are of His household, is what it says there. Uh, in verse 25, I think I might have given my wife the wrong passage to put into the notes. I'm sorry. Verse 25, it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, do you realize the offense of that? The master of all things, Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, being called Satan. There's some nuances of meaning that might even be in that word, Beelzebub. There's variations, Lord of flies, Lord of... It's a major insult to the one who is Lord of all to call him Beelzebub. But if they would do that to him, it says, how much more will they malign those of his household? That's us. It's what we can expect in being like Jesus. Can't I just be like... I see a Christian. It seems like their life is going all right. There's not a lot of suffering there. Can, can that be my path? That's what we want to say. Boy, uh, Peter. I love Peter. 
gives me hope. <laughs> Peter, um, at the end there, says, I'm going to follow you anywhere, Jesus. Jesus says, in fact, before the rooster crows three times, what are you going to do? You're going to deny me, Peter, three times, right? Or before the rooster crows. You're going to deny me three times. And sure enough, Peter found himself just like what Jesus said. Same word in Greek. Those who deny me, well, I will deny them before the Father. And here he is denying Christ right in the moment of Christ's passion on the cross. And after that, what does Peter do? A depressed disciple. Jesus has died. He's got that must-be-guilt feeling. Sure, Jesus is raised from the dead, but I denied him. What's Peter say? I'm going fishing. I'm just going to go do what I did before. And there's an incredible passage, actually, at the end of John, uh, where Jesus ministers to Peter. I just love that. And, and go study it and realize Jesus goes and meets him out there fishing or when he's coming back, cooking some fish. And he ministers to Peter, gives him his calling, gives him his purpose. Here's what I have. Get up. I, I have a purpose for you. This is what I've called you to. And, and then he tells Peter even the manner in which he can expect his life to end. You're going to suffer for me, Peter. And, and the tradition of the early church that, that's been passed down is that, that Peter was crucified. He said, I, I'm, I'm not worthy to be crucified as my Lord is crucified. And so he was crucified upside down is what tradition says. But in that moment, Jesus has told him, here's, here's what you can expect in following me. And he uses those words uh, twice. Follow me, Peter, and you're going to suffer just as I have suffered. Peter looks back, he sees John back there. Well, what about him? <laughs> See, when we look at what, what our experience is going to be, if we are going to suffer, we want others to have to be like us, but, but we certainly want to be like others to not have to suffer. Jesus says, what is it to you if he should never die? You, Peter, follow me. Who are we to be like? Jesus. What can we expect is the experience of Jesus. That's the, that's the only person we look to. What is my life going to be like? It might have more or less suffering. There might be more or less slander, ridicule, deceit. I, I don't know what I'm going to run into, but it's going to be things that Christ experienced. And when you realize that the things that you're experiencing for righteousness, for the case of Christ, for, for, for following Him, you're experiencing these things, there's a glory of it. Because you're getting to experience some portion of what your Lord experienced. And, and it's, it's being a part of a purpose and a mission that's greater than anything else. It's His purpose and mission to save sinners from their sin. And when I get to experience a little bit of that, not because it's being like John in the back or anybody else here, but because it's being like Christ there's a glory to it. So it makes sense, having covered all of that with his disciples. Now what we get into 
Jesus is going to teach his disciples about fear. Because that's our response, isn't it? What might be around the corner? What might suffering look like? What's going to be on the other side of that door when I knock? Some doors weren't happy to see us. There's fear. What does Jesus say? Verse 26. So have no fear of them. There you go. Don't fear. In fact, Jesus three times in this passage is going to tell us not to fear. In verse 26, have no fear of them. And then in verse 28, uh, if you jump to that one, and do not fear those who kill the body, cannot kill the soul. Do not fear. And in verse 31, he says, fear not, therefore. In the Greek, there's a tense that you can give something that gives it more strength. It's an imperative. We can't change it in English to, to have that. I, we can put it in bold. That, that actually helps to communicate what's there. It's in the imperative. It's a command. It's not just don't be afraid. It's don't fear. It's a command. You realize our Lord and Savior is telling us that as we're following Him as His disciples, His commandment to us is to not fear. And here's our first point in the notes. Jesus commands us to live fearlessly. It's not just helpful instruction. It's a command. His disciples are to live fearlessly. Praise the Lord for the exercise that we had yesterday. We got to do a little training in living fearlessly. But it comes more than just knocking on doors. It's, it's your experience before others in your workplace. It's your, it's your experience in the world around us. What, what does he mean? Fear not. And what, what does that look like? The action of living fearlessly. You know, our world, it's been worldwide, has been gripped in fear the last couple of years, hasn't it? We've been part of that too. Apprehension, fear, and in just this area, we've seen the results of fear, panic. Even before the pandemic, we saw uh, because of weather and shortages on things, runs on gas stations, runs on toilet paper. That's uh, unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that was the result of anxiety as well. But there was fear. Sorry, I'm so sorry. <laughs> we got to see the world gripped in fear. Is that what he's talking about? Don't participate in the actions of fear. Certainly those who have their hope of eternity who have no fear of losing their life because their life really has already been crucified with Christ. Those who believe in me will never die. That, it, when we have that belief, then, then certainly there's no reason to be caught up in fear. But what he's talking about here is something far greater than a life dealing with those kinds of fears. Those are temporal 
minuscule fears compar- compared to what he is calling us to. And in this passage, most of it's instruction on why not to fear. But in verse 27, he tells us something to do. Action. How to live out fearing not. And in verse 27, he says, What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. This is in contrast. I'm going to break this apart. It's contrast verse 26. Notice the first fear he's dealing with has to do with those who malign you, those who say things against you. And, and usually there's something hidden in that, right? It's the truth concerning your real motives. People are questioning your motives. They're saying something bad about you. They're, they're, they're questioning what you're doing and why you're doing it. And, and so... In verse 26, he's saying, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What he's saying there is the truth will come out. Right? Don't, don't fear, just as, as Jesus really is not making a big deal about speaking who he really is. We don't need to worry about saying, no, this was really my motive. Those hidden things, hidden truth, there's a promise there, and it's a promise of the working of the Father that He will bring about revealing what's true. It might be tomorrow, it might be in years, it might not be until we're with Him. But He will bring about truth. So don't worry about those things. But He says, here's what you do in contrast. Verse 27, what I tell you in the dark Say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. What is he talking about? What was he telling his disciples in secret? What was he explaining and whispering? Those things that were not yet to be revealed about him. Right? He would say when he healed somebody, don't go tell anybody. And then they would go tell everybody. He was not yet revealing the truth really in the face of those false accusations. Oh, he's saying those things of Beelzebub. That's why he has that authority. No, he kept hidden through parables and through saying not as much as would be to clearly say, no, this is who I am. Though it's clear, when you go through the Gospels, it's clear if you're paying attention. And to those who believed Him, it was clear. No, He is God. He is the Messiah. But that was not to be spoken yet until after Jesus' death. But then after Jesus' death and resurrection, what were His disciples to speak? Not defending themselves, certainly not that, not correcting those who would malign them. No, there was a word to speak. And it was Jesus Christ, the crucified, resurrected, the risen Lord, Jesus, King of kings, to to proclaim that, to bring those things out of the dark into the light and to proclaim on the rooftops. The, The roofs were different than ours, a little safer to stand on. They're very flat, and within, a, within a, a town, that would be a great place to, to proclaim and just to, to yell out the good news of Jesus Christ. What is Jesus saying here? What is the fearless life of a believer? I see it right here. 
And I see the testimony of it later in the examples of those who do follow. Jesus commands us to live fearlessly to proclaim Christ and not ourselves. That's fearless living. That takes a whole lot more guts than what it is to not fear the pandemic or not fear a shortage of gas or anything else, but to boldly proclaim Christ. And while I receive accusation and, 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 and suffer threats to my life or whatever it might be, anything that Jesus experienced as I'm proclaiming Christ, I, I can expect those things to not defend myself, to not proclaim myself, but only to continue to proclaim Christ. What an example we have in Paul of that. If you've read through the books, the, the letters, 1 and 2 Corinthians, those are letters that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. He was being accused. Boy, he got to experience exactly what Jesus promised. They're going to malign you as you stand for me. And, and he, he had false accusation against him. And the awkwardness of Paul, who, <laughs> if we read what he says, is like, Yes, I was the greatest among Pharisees. I had all of these, these earthly accomplishments, and I count all of that as nothing compared to Christ, right? The message of Christ. He did not want to proclaim himself in the least, and yet here he is needing to defend the message that they brought to the Corinthians because it is the message of the gospel. And in a sense, he's having to defend himself, but he keeps deflecting, but it's not me. It's the power of Christ. I came to you in weakness, not with some fancy words of wisdom, but to just proclaim Christ crucified, right? So that your faith would be in Him, not me. And we see in 1 Corinthians, uh, then, or sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This whole passage is great, but let's look in verse 5. What does he say? See, I didn't, I didn't come up with that point myself. Paul already came up with it. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. That's fearless living. Living fearlessly. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said... Let light shine out of darkness. That's referring back to creation. God who, who spoke and created light that we take for granted around us. That almighty God who spoke light into existence, what has he now done? He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what I proclaim. Jesus says, live fearlessly, proclaiming Christ and not yourself. You have the glory of Christ in you, the light of the glory of the knowledge of God. You know God because you know Christ. You've seen God because you've seen Christ. As you come to know the character of Christ, you're knowing the character of Almighty God and the glory of God is there within you. And he says in verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power 
belongs to God and not to us. Sure, criticize the jar. Put down the jar. Give false accusation against the jar of clay. It's just a jar of clay. Kick it, break it, crush it. It doesn't matter because within the jar is the glory, the treasure that I carry that is the glory of Jesus Christ. And Him I will proclaim. That's what it is that Jesus is calling us to. Christian, disciple, believer. Live fearlessly proclaiming Christ and not ourselves. And it is the power of God that sustains us. Well, in this passage, we have Jesus' instructions to his disciples, not just what to expect, but how to deal with fear. And it's some things in here that we need to pay attention to. Vital instructions. The first really reason not to fear is there that we've already read in verse 26. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. He's dealing with the fear of hurting my reputation, what people will think of me, right? When you're maligned, just as, just as your master is, you can expect to be as well. If I say that at work, if I talk about Jesus, not just God, but I talk about Jesus and how he's so important to me, what, what he has done in my life and how really my life is motivated only by serving him, what will they think about me? Right? That's a fear we deal with. And, and what they're going to think is not going to be right. Because what they know about Christ is not right. What, is the, what does the world think about Christ? I just saw it again. Christ is racist. How wrong can you be? <laughs> Jesus, through whom every human being was created, who doesn't see any other race than the human race, as he declares it to be in the Scripture, who loved the whole world, and gave his life and shed his blood for every person and declares that every man, woman, and child is made in the image of God to, to claim that he's... It's wrong. But when I stand with Christ, and I say, more than anything else, I want to be like Christ. Their first impression is their impression of Christ. And they say, well, then you must be racist too. What does God say? Everything hidden. Every true thing that is currently being suppressed will become known. For some of the people in your workplace, maybe that's through you being bold to stand with Christ, they will come to know the true Christ. And then it's not about you, is it? They'll realize, no, here is Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. God Almighty who loves me. The Father who sent His Son to die for me. That's who I'm looking at. God, perfect in every way. 
and the truth becomes known in their life. Here's the first thing we need to trust, vital instructions that we see throughout Scripture as well. As we are following Christ fearlessly, we need to trust God as vindicator. Who is the one to vindicate me? Who is the one to make clear what's true about my motivation, my heart? As false accusation is made against me in the process of following Christ, I need to just trust God as my vindicator. That is a very difficult thing to do. Our pride is something we really want to fight for. We really need to protect. We need to lay that down at Jesus' feet, trusting that God will in time bring about truth. He'll bring about light. And if that's not until the day He comes, Praise the Lord. I will continue to follow Him fearlessly and trust Him as my vindicator. Boy, even beyond vindication, we want to, we want to have justice. <laughs> Not just vindication. We want justice. We want things to be paid back. Boy, the Bible is clear and strong on that one. Vengeance is whose? It's God's. Do not exercise vengeance on one another, on others. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We are to glorify Christ and to love as Christ has loved. Do you see how love is a fearless act as we're getting into this? Proclaiming Christ and not myself is an act of love because I am extending in obedience to Christ the love of Christ to those that are around me. Even as they malign, even as they falsely accuse, even as they physically abuse, whatever it is, I am going to speak Christ and not myself. So trust God as your vindicator. Then 28, verse 28, still in Matthew 10, he says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Second vital instruction, fear God more than man. Easy to say. Commandment, don't fear those who can kill your body. <sighs> Praise the Lord for the testimony of our brothers and sisters, part of God's body, part of our body globally, that right now deal with those who are threatening their physical well-being. Those who go to be baptized knowing that it could very well mean this is their last week to be alive. Because the significance of stepping out and showing I am a follower of Jesus. You might get caught reading a Bible and you can explain that one away, right? Oh no, I was studying up on how to, how to argue with the Christians. How do you explain baptism? 
No, that's a clear statement, public statement. I follow Christ. Jesus says, disciples of mine, walk in obedience. Get baptized. You're a follower of me. Don't fear those who can kill the body. But what? Fear the one who can kill both body and soul. The, the one who can affect my eternity. This requires me to see God for who He is. For me to fear God, awesome, almighty God. When we look at Jesus, sometimes we only get a picture that, that might come through media or come through a movie or something, and, and we see Jesus as He was purposefully, intentionally humbling Himself as a man. And he did that on purpose, to go to the cross. But what we read in Revelation, Jesus revealed. What Paul encountered on the road to Damascus is not a humble servant, but a glorified king. Paul fell to his knees on the ground as the light of Jesus Christ shone on him. As John uh, faces the, the glory of what he sees in, in, in the vision and revelation, he falls to the ground. Even, even before an angel, the angel's like, no, I'm not him. Get up. But Jesus is a fearsome being. He's the one who created all things, and he's the one who holds our future. He is the one who will judge. Don't fear man. The more I grasp who God is. What's it say next? We're going to get into it. Two, two sparrows. The cheapest bird that a poor person could buy at market. To get two of them for a penny. It makes a statement about the almighty God that, not, that a sparrow, the cheapest of sparrows, could fall to the ground, but, but doesn't fall to the ground apart from the Father. What's he saying there is that, is that unless God allows it, how almighty is God that for even the smallest thing that we see as a random piece of nature doesn't happen apart from God's sovereign hand allowing it to happen. The more we understand who God is, the more we can truly fear God over man. And the more that I see him rightly, as He truly is. I mean, Revelation. You just try to consider, you got all of the nations of the world gathering together. This is the first time they're all in agreement. They're in agreement to fight against Christ. <laughs> gathered together against Christ. I mean, just think about it. I don't know how many of you are geeked out by, you know, the latest technology and everything. It, we'd, we'd, we'd be at Miramar Base. Uh, I lived right next to Miramar Base. We'd have the Blue Angels show up. They would do, 
demonstrations. They'd have an F-18, you know, a Super Hornet come flying by, and you just, you're amazed by just the shock of it as it comes by you, and then they would blow things up, and then they'd have an F-22 come through, and just like amazed at this technology. That's all old technology. There's, there's new stuff coming out now, next generation fighters, next generation things that, you know, not only the United States, but Russia and China and all the others are coming out with all of this stuff. Drone swarms and everything they can do with those. China just, I heard, did a, a test with a, uh, a supersonic warhead that traveled the whole world around at Mach 5. It was only like 24 miles off of its target. That's incredible. We could look at those things and we could fear those things even. A nuclear warhead on a supersonic missile from China, that's scary. But take all of them together, and what Revelation tells us is that they will all be coming together against Christ. And with a sword from his mouth, with his voice, destroy, overcome all the armies militaries, combined weaponry. They'll have stuff from outer space even, I'm sure. It doesn't matter. Fear God. The more that I understand who God is, the more irrational it is to fear man if I am trusting God. Verse 29 are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more value, of more value than many sparrows. You know, sometimes when I think of God Almighty and, and, and His, His majesty, I can make the mistake that many world religions make in their view of God. It's, an, it's not a right view of God. They, they say he's this distant, almighty, powerful God. How can he even see what tomorrow looks like for me? How, how can he even care what tomorrow looks like for me? What is this saying? Even the numbers of your hairs. Every hair is numbered. He knows. You did not keep track of how many hairs fell off in the shower. He knows. He knows every detail about you. So we fear our reputation. We fear physical harm. That's what the last one was about. Finally here, he's just dealing with our fear of want and need and care, provision. Is God really here? I, I've stepped out in faith. I've decided to follow Him, to live fearlessly for Him. That might mean a change in job. It might mean a, a major change in direction in your life. And, and the only way it's going to work out is if God shows up and you're going, does He really, are you noticing God? Here, I'm doing this. Are you going to put that step for me to step on because my foot's coming down? Does he care? Absolutely. Here's the last thing. We need to trust God's sovereign care. If we are going to live fearlessly, we need to trust God's sovereign care. That he truly does see 
and allow even a sparrow to fall to the ground. And as things enter my life, as I suffer as Christ suffered, as I'm maligned as Christ was maligned, as, as false witness is made against me as was made against Christ, to realize that not one of those things is possible apart from my Father allowing it. And I'm trusting Him. And I fear Him more than anything else. I want you to know and I want you to experience the truth that believers who live fearlessly following Jesus will find miraculous things happening in their life. They will suffer. They will be maligned. And, and, and I'd, I'd encourage you as homework, go back to that 2 Corinthians passage and read the rest of it because as jars of clay carrying this, it, it talks about how we're crushed but not defeated, Right? How is it that we can be crushed but not defeated? It's because our sovereign God is caring for us, allowing us, yes, to suffer as Christ suffered, but for the purpose of Christ, to be maligned as he was maligned, but, but for his purpose, and to use us and to work through us as the sovereign, perfect God is caring for us. For us to live fearlessly, we have to trust his sovereignty, trust that he cares and he will care for us. That may be taken down a path. Uh, uh, in my life, hitting the bottom financially. That, that's, where, that's where I went when I finally decided to trust God. And, and I saw later his care in that to learn to trust him practically with those things that I have. But it's true. He might, in his care, lead you to bankruptcy. Lead you... To physical harm. But we need to trust His sovereign care. In all these things, Jesus is the perfect example. What did Jesus do? Well, long before He was a man, He was the Son of God. Right? has always been. He is God. And there's no time that was before He was. He created time. And yet they're the Son of God in perfect fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit left heaven to take on the weakness of man, setting aside any right that He had as the Creator God he humbled himself as a servant, taking on the form of man, right? Trusting completely the sovereign care of the Father. He is the example. Not using his own power, but, but submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit to do miraculous works. He humbled himself took on the form of a human so that we could look to Him and see the perfect example of trusting, of fearlessly living according to the will of the Father. Trusting the Father as the one who would be the vindicator, right? He is the one that would, bring, that would reveal ultimately, this is my Son, this is the Messiah, this is the King of kings, and He would do that through the mouths of the disciples that would come after Him. 
trusting the Father for physical, for, from physical harm. What happened in the beginning of Jesus' life? Right, here he is, born into a poor family. Uh, and, and they have to go and, and pay their taxes, right? And, and register. And, and what happens? King Herod hears, oh, there's a king being born. All right, kill all the infants. But the sovereign care of the Father was protecting Jesus even then, right? Same thing for us. We are entrusting ourselves to the sovereign care of God the Father. And every step of the way, every action that happened was all according to what God had ordained to happen. Even one of his disciples turning against him. Betrayal is what we can expect as we follow Christ was all within the sovereign care and purpose of the Father. Trusting God's sovereign care is trusting His guidance, that His direction is good and true, and trusting His provision that He will provide for what He tells us to do. And this section ends with Jesus saying in verse 32, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. There's a seriousness to this passage for sure. To those not willing to follow Christ, they're not willing to live fearlessly. They're not willing to confess Christ before men. But this passage is also full of hope. Because I've confessed Jesus before men. And his promises are true. And one day, to every person who says, I'm a follower of Jesus, who admits that before men, before those who would malign and persecute, says, no, I stand with Jesus. What I look forward to is not dread, but hope perfect hope that one day I'll stand before the Lord. And hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm a servant of Jesus. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. Do I have Peter moments? Absolutely. We're trembling in fear. Oh, God, I failed. But no, what does my life stand for? If I look back at my life, my life stands for Christ. I have confessed Christ before men. So I look forward to that hope where He will confess me before the Father. This is mine. This one is mine. Not for what He has done, but He's mine. My blood has washed away His sin. My life has covered His life. Look forward to that hope. 
Church, we are called to live fearlessly, to proclaim Christ and not ourselves. Trust God as your vindicator. Don't try to defend yourself. Fear God. Man is nothing. Fear God and trust His perfect, sovereign care. Let's worship together. life has overwhelmed me and I feel like giving up I will cling to all you promised it will always be enough when the world around me crumbles it's so hard to understand I will run to you, my shelter. I am safe within your hands. You are my help forever. And I will not fear. God, you are with me. And I know that you're near. And you'll never leave me. I will trust in Strength that carries me. 
Even as we have sung those words, we will not trust in anything other than you, God. I pray that you make that true within our hearts. So many things, God, I want to lean back on that's not you. God, whatever I put aside in the bank, whatever provision I've made for the season ahead, God, whatever preparation I've made ahead of Whatever's happening next week, God, don't let those things be the substance of my faith and trust, but God, help me to trust you alone, to be ready at a moment's notice, to change direction, to follow you, to take cues from your Holy Spirit. God, if you would have me miss a meeting in order to follow something that you've just put on my heart that I need to do. God, let my trust be in you as I do that thing. God, if there's a major change in my life that needs to be made in obedience to the direction you would have me go, God, don't let me trust those things that I've, that I've built up, but God, let me trust you alone. And know, God, help us to know within our heart, you will never leave us. You are with us every step of the way. Thank you, God, for your promises. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your guidance for your truth. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your power within us to do the things that are right. We love you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. I love you, church. This afternoon, if you can swing a sledgehammer, we got 26 four-foot stakes to put into the ground all the way up to only six inches left. Um, a whole lot easier to do when it's more than one person doing it. Uh, it's kind of like having a barn raising, right? We're having a tent raising. Uh, hallelujah, let's do that. So 2 o'clock, I'm going to try to be over at the land. That'll be fun. Look forward to it.